This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So, um, you know, I was sitting here and I heard this phrase this morning for the first time, uh, a purpose that is not rooted in presence is simply performance. Purpose meaning that which you do outside of yourself that does not and has not been inspired, motivated, cultivated, matured from a place of conscious intimacy, enjoyment with the presence of God is simply performance. Because you see, what you start outside of yourself for a a sense of value and significance will always be up to you to maintain that. And we're going to go into this in a minute. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And we can break it down. We are all called to different worlds. We have different gift mixes, different wirings. What does it profit a man to gain his world but lose his soul? And the word there for soul, you can think of um, your true self, your innermost being, that steady, grounded, consistent, no performance, no man pleasing, no fear of man, that part of you that we go in and out of on a daily basis if you're like me. Amen. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So, let's do this. I'm going to share some insight from a really cool movie that I've watched three times now. It's uh, Arthur. How many of you have seen the new King Arthur movie? It's not new, but it's, it's new. It's like two, three years old. Two of you watch? You guys don't? You all are too, you're too holy. You don't watch movies? Huh? Wow, that's amazing. Who's seen the movie Arthur? I can't believe, there we go. You won't get in trouble, it's okay. (laughs) You'll be fine. This movie is is so um, symbolic for this scripture in particular that I'm going to share. But basically, Arthur is the, his dad's the king, but the dad's brother is basically jealous and he wants the power. So the dad wants to have the sword, hey, there she is. So the dad wants, uh, the dad has Excalibur, the sword, the powerful sword that was made by Merlin and his cronies, right? So the uncle, though, he makes a deal with the devil, basically, these demons. And um, this is an extreme of performance that's not rooted in presence and intimacy. But he makes a deal with the devil. He goes outside of himself and he overgives, right? And so... He ends up killing his brother, the existing king. He kills Arthur's mommy as well. And Arthur somehow escapes on a boat as a little baby boy who is next in line for both the kingdom and Excalibur. So as long as Arthur's alive, the uncle cannot use this powerful sword. So somehow Arthur ends up on this boat and um, he is found by in this brothel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So these prostitutes, which is fascinating to me, find Arthur, and they raise him. I was about to say, I can so relate to Arthur. (laughs) 
I can relate to Arthur in that he was the street smart, sharp leader, loved people, bold, courageous. There's an Arthur in all of us to an extent. And it didn't matter where he was. He made the most of every situation in every season. All the odds was thrown against him. And somehow he always kept rising to the top. Now, he was a street rat in that context, they would call him. He has no idea what his true identity is. He's oblivious. That's kind of like us. We do have an idea, but our idea needs to be expanded. And that's what I hope to do this morning. We do have an idea of who we are, but we don't at the same time, do we? So anyway, um, the sword that's in the stone, you know, the, the classical tale about it, for some reason decides to reveal itself and the water that was covering this rock that had the stone in the rock just uh, recedes, okay? At this point, Arthur had gotten in some trouble with um, somebody that was a friend of the king and as a result, he had to be shipped to Camelot on a boat as a part of his punishment. There at Camelot, they had all these young men go and see who can pull the sword out, right? And it's this amazing scene where he comes and he has no idea. That's the thing. It, it might look like same old, same old. It might look like nothing's happening. It might look like you're just another person. And then one day here you come and he grabs a hold of the sword. And just when he touches it, he starts to like manifest because the power was too strong on the sword. Which I thought was so interesting. Anyway, he pulls the thing out and he blacks out because the power was too much. I'm like, Jesus, black me out all day long. <laughs> I surrender. <laughs> you know, here's a trial and a tribulation. I surrender. I'm out. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I, I, I think there's, there's a measure of the tangible presence of God that he just, it will just like waylay us. But that's partially because we, we are not consistent enough in practice, in thought, in cultivating this weightiness, this presence of God. So the story continues with Arthur. As you can imagine, he's like, what the heck is this all about? You know, so uh, this other, uh, what you call this person, Merlin's sidekick, this lady comes and she basically starts to tell him who he is. And she explains to him, um, his dad and the relationship with his uncle and the sword, and he doesn't believe it. How can he? He has no reference for it. He has no falter for it. Because when we are outside in people, we first wait for things to make sense to us before we say yes. Jesus didn't ask you only understand. He said only believe. You think he doesn't know that I don't fully understand who I am? That's the point of what he came to do was to reveal to me who I truly am. And to reveal to you who you truly are. Before shame, before trauma, before disappointment. That's why Jesus came was to reveal to me that I am like him. That he's my big brother. Fascinating. When we say that, there's these strongholds and thoughts and da 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 and this thing didn't happen and disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment and offense and all this stuff. 
So as a result, Arthur has to go through like all kinds of trouble now to basically discover who he is. And one of these things is he has to go into a wilderness, basically, which I thought is fascinating. And there's a line where the old captain that was the captain of his dad's guard, he's in hiding. He's teaming up with Merlin's sidekick to mentor Arthur. And, and Merlin's sidekick, I, don't, I forget her name, just Shanene. We'll call her Shanene. So Shanene, <laughs> she's like, he needs to go through the wilderness so he can experience and know who he is. And the, and the guard's like, no, you can't kill him before he's the king. Because in this wilderness, there's just like all kinds of giant animals and creatures and stuff. And she says something that's so profound. And she says, um, well, we don't want all of him to die. Only his old self. Isn't that amazing? I'm like, dude, this is the gospel, right? Yeah, I am watching the gospel. That's why I'm watching this thing three or four times. So he goes into this wilderness. He takes the sword. It's just him. Does sound familiar? It's wild beasts in this wilderness. And... Uh, I love Guy Ritchie. He's such an amazing director. His movies are so creative and so fresh. And so scene after scene, like it's two minutes of just scene after scene, no talking, just sound, and him like facing a giant bat and like a demonic mongoose. And like it's just the, <laughs> the strangest experience you can imagine, you know. Um, I would have tapped out like a long time ago if I was Arthur. Anyway. He starts getting irritated because right before he dies or like a giant python kills him, Merlin's assistant, who this might offend some of you, but that's okay. So represents the Holy Spirit. Right before he gets eaten by a python, Shanene steps in and just saves him just in time. You ever feel like that? You're about to like just, I can't anymore. And he's like, perfect. Awesome. So now you can see that it cannot be, it cannot begin with you. But you get to partner with me and you get to cultivate that. And I grow in trust more and more. I grow in surrender, divine surrender more and more so that the divine faith of God can influence me so that I can live in a state of perpetual faith. It's not faith in God. It's faith of God. The difference between believe and faith is to believe is to still have the presence of doubt, but it's to give the benefit of the doubt. I believe. Help my unbelief. So the more I, I commit to and I surrender to this state of belief. Oh, there's a doubt. No, I believe. There's a doubt. No, I believe. Am I the only one who experiences sometimes? <laughs> Woo! Is a doubt. No, I believe. The more I cultivate that, see, this is humility. The fact that I continue to surrender and give God the benefit of the doubt. Now, what begins to happen is the faith of God begins to influence me, begins to persuade me. It's a gift. And when I walk in the faith of God, there is no doubt. And that's what's needed so that earth can look like heaven. As, as sons and daughters walking in the faith of God, we're still talking about purpose. Stick with me. <laughs> so 
Arthur comes out on the other side and eventually he gets so mad at these creatures, like just annoying him. It's almost like he realized, listen, I'm not going to die. I'll be okay. As long as I'm alive, something can happen. There's a moment where these wolves just like come to take him out. There's like eight and he takes that Excalibur thing and he just like, it beats the ground and the power of that thing just, just wipes these things out. And it's in that moment that he first realizes the power. See, that sword is inside of us. It has been inside of us. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I would, I would twist that story and I would say that those creatures represent negative emotions, unresolved pain, shame, and trauma that we feel on a daily basis. And we disqualify ourselves because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel significant because we feel this. So we feel that because we still identify with that which we feel as if we are the feelings. I am not that which I feel. I feel it with no judgment. And so instead, in this wilderness, in a moment, I extend compassion to the parts of me that was designed to protect me from rejection and hurt and pain. Because unless I can love myself in that way, I'm not loving. I appreciate that. I see that one clap. Come on now. I can work with one as like a cloud of the size of a man's hand, but I'll do it. <laughs> this is your purpose. Fundamentally, you have two purposes. Your fundamental purpose is eternal. It is an inside out reality. It is abiding in me and you will bear much fruit. That is your fundamental purpose. From this place of fundamental primary purpose comes what I call your secondary purpose. And your secondary purpose is seasonal. It changes. How many of you have done something differently over the last 10 years? Nobody. <laughs> I was, it was just what, four years ago where I was on full-time staff at this church and I started feeling a change in season. And that was one of the most uncomfortable, unpleasant, hard transitions of my life. Because not only did I transition from that, there was a lot of unhealthy beliefs that I was holding on to, a sense of identity that was attached to a stage, the accolades of people, all of these little things. Then you throw in three girls, now three, five, and seven. Each one of them are part Zulu and part lion. <laughs> Divinely stubborn, amazing. Like, they are like these three old souls. I feel like they high or something like that. The conversations that they have, I'm just like, what are you guys talking about? They just make stuff up, you know? Like, if you sit down and you listen to what they talk about, you just come out there like so confused, you know? But they believe what they say. They just believe. So this season, this secondary season had changed, and I'm so thankful to God that somehow by the grace of God intuitively, 
I always knew, I couldn't describe it like I just did, but I always knew the value and the priority of my primary purpose, which is the practice of his presence. I look back now and I say, man, if I did not cultivate the ability to continuously taste and see, I probably, God knows, I'd still be running around there with King Arthur in the wilderness chasing bats and stuff right now like a mad person. So you have a primary and you have a secondary purpose. And that secondary purpose changes. It's fascinating to think about that. Because when you do it the other way around, again, when you like, what's my purpose? Oh, what do I do? What am I supposed to be doing? Da, da, da. Okay, now something comes that you might be naturally good at. Okay, so we attach to that because it gives us a sense of groundedness, a sense of value, a sense of significance. Okay, and so that now, it's like taking out a credit card with like, with 100% interest rate. You have to constantly perform. You have to constantly pay back. And so you know that you are, uh, your, your, your purpose is is not prioritized when you struggle with jealousy, competition, comparing, restlessness, anxiety. I'm not saying it will be, it won't exist. I'm saying if it constantly is just a struggle, then it's probably because you're no longer connected to the vine intentionally, consciously. Does that make sense? I'm gonna, this is just a, a theory of mine. Think about the question, what is my purpose? What is the synonym for purpose? Uh, function. What is the function of something, right? The functionality of something. So, so what is my purpose? Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm all about having purpose. But the reason we're having a lot of problems is because we're pursuing purpose before we're pursuing presence. But then some of us are just pursuing perp- a presence and there's no purpose on the outside. It's always going to be one of two extremes. That's why I, pr- I pray for wisdom like a madman. Like wisdom, 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 wisdom. I need wisdom. So think about the question. If you're not rooted in cultivating and understanding and learning and growing in the presence of God, what is really underneath the question, what is my purpose? Because if purpose has to do with functionality, then the underlying question really is, what do I have to do so that I can function better? What do I have to do so that I can feel better about myself? That's really the unconscious questions. Questions are very powerful. We don't really mean to ask what we ask most of the time. That's why Jesus, if you see them ask him a question, you see how he responds to them in a very snarky way. Uh, Pull up, um, uh, okay, Mark 8. I want to finish the story with with Arthur and then we're going to wrap it up with this verse. So that's the first time he realizes who he is. He kills these wolves. So fast forward, a couple friends of his, one in particular, gets killed by the king. The king's army kills his friend, catches the friend as they're pursuing Arthur. And um, there's a scene where Arthur, he's just done with the sword. 
He's done with this, like, I'm powerful stuff. He's done with this, like, I have purpose stuff. He's done with this, like, I'm amazing stuff. And he takes the sword and he tosses it, like, in a lake or something like that. He's ashamed. He was ashamed that he couldn't save his friend. Isn't that amazing? The only reason he would ever be ashamed is because he think that it was still to do with him to begin with. <laughs> Jesus is not ashamed of our shame. And he throws the sword and anyway, he kneels down, he's, he's just like shouting, crying. And up comes this hand and this mermaid looking creature, just like, <laughs> I know, <laughs> yanks him underwater and it's just this beautiful mermaid with this like blue ribbons and like, you know, this perfect looking human being. And Arthur's like, he's, 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 he's being baptized. He's dying under this water. He's trying to breathe and she's just holding him because she knows something about him. Stop kicking and screaming. Surrender to your greatness. Surrender to the Christ in you. You are not the shame that you feel. You are not the thoughts that tell you you are not enough. Fundamentally, that's not who you are. If you continue to believe that there's something wrong with you, guess what? You're going to behave like there's something wrong with you. This was the problem in the garden. He says, who told you? But you were naked. What's under that question? Who told you there's something wrong with you? That's the universal problem. Who told you there's something wrong with you? I didn't tell you there's something wrong with you. You thought there's something wrong with you. You partnered with that thought and it developed over years. And you acted it out. And teachings like sinful nature has not done us any good whatsoever in two translations the NIV and the NLT says the word sinful nature instead of flesh there's a big difference flesh is not fundamentally evil the same way this phone can be used for evil or for good I can call Shanae and get a quick dime bag or I can call and make a donation to like some charity but if you still believe you have a sinful nature, guess what you're going to do? You're going to sin. Wow. Fascinating. Arthur's ashamed because he, he did all the mission trips. He, he did all the performance. He did all the right thing. He served at the right times. He did all this and he did all that. But yet... He felt that not enoughness and he thought he was that not enoughness. And he said, you know what? He took an extreme posture. I'm done with this greatness nonsense. Some of us don't take an extreme. It's extreme posture is more passive, religious posture. And there's a scene where he just like, he like blacks out under the water. That old self is dying. And she takes him into this vision and she shows him what the future looks like, what his uncle will do to the kingdom if he doesn't step up. <laughs> if he doesn't step up, if he doesn't man up, pony up, soldier up, woman up, 
That's what's going to happen. We need to stop asking God to do things that he's already done. We need to go and be like God. Imitate God, dear children of God. And when that shame comes and when that doubt comes, that's your moment. That's your purpose right there. You want to know what your purpose is? That's your purpose in life. This is you not losing your soul. And as you pursue that purpose and you prioritize this purpose where you are honest with yourself, you will bear much fruit. And this fruit will remain. Nobody can take it. You don't have to be insecure about this fruit. And Arthur realizes, oh snap, (laughs) I got to step up. And he comes to, oh, this is, he rises again. In him, we were risen. (laughs) We died in him and we were already resurrected him. This is mystical language, people. Don't try to understand it. Just say, there's something about this that I can relate to. So I say, yes. And the more you say yes, the more you'll understand it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Okay, where's this verse we were supposed to get to? Yeah, you know what? Let me, yeah, I need to touch on this. Okay, I want, I need to give a little context here. Just because the theologian in me likes to do that. It's okay. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead, which is when we rose with him. Wow. (laughs) As he talked about this openly uh, with his disciples, Peter (laughs) took him aside and began to reprimand him. For saying such things. Just imagine that. That's like Jesus like just sharing his heart. And Peter's like, hey bro, come here. Mira, penaki. You know, like what are you doing, bro? This is insane. Don't, don't be so intense. Like don't be so like over the top. Don't be so powerful. Don't talk about being risen. Keep it neat. Keep it tidy. Because we have to appear a certain way. This thing has to look a certain way. And if it doesn't, then it's just not going to work. We have to have full control over this whole thing. And Jesus looks at him (laughs) and he says, get away from me, Satan. (laughs) Damn, talk about being straight up honest with somebody about how you feel, you know, like, can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing for a friend of yours to call you Satan, but for Jesus to call you Satan? Damn. So Peter's probably confused and he says, um, Jesus turned around, looked at the disciples. He reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. A human point of view is outside in, not inside out. We must become students of emotional intelligence, people. Hello, it's the 21st century. You must understand your your nervous system, your emotional state, your emotional well-being. Why don't we learn about these things? It's very, they didn't get, they didn't have the, the data back then, the research, the insight. 
back then. But we do, and we need it more than they did because we have an entire generation that is experiencing anxiety that no other generation has ever experienced. And we can't just talk about churchy things all day long, Christianese, churchy things. It's stale and it's not going to work anymore. You have to become relevant. And the way you become relevant is not to do the things that they do per se. Because Jesus hung out with a bunch of prostitutes and tax collectors and they never ran away. They listened. But the way you become relevant is by you becoming relevant to yourself. It's by become, you becoming aware of what you feel, why you feel it, and the ability to articulate that. It's you being honest with yourself. No performance here. That's you being relevant, first and foremost. Now you can go and people will feel your relevance. Oh gosh. Then calling the crowd, he says this thing. If you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Wait, sorry, let me read that again. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you constantly go outside of yourself to perform, you you push through the stress, you push through the anxiety, you push through the pain, you push through the obvious stuff, you're going to lose it, literally. He says, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, here's the good news, you are enough. I am enough, therefore I don't have to perform. It feels scary and vulnerable, but I surrender. Come to me, those who are weird and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Your portion is rest and not restlessness. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul, your true self? Is anything worth more than who you fundamentally are, who I've known you to be before you were even born? the real you. Is there anything more precious than the real you? I look at my daughters and it bothers me when I see shame telling them who they are not. Oh, and where do I get that? From the Father. That, that thing comes from Him. Can you imagine how He feels when I doubt my, my you know, my goodness, my greatness, my God-likeness. If anyone is ashamed of these, my message, these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Go to the next verse, uh, chapter 9, I think I gave you, verse 1. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. I'm going to end with this. The reason I added that last part and the context, the context of this scripture up until now, how, how I've understood it, is you lay down all of your dreams, you lay down all of your desires, anything that, that's one extreme, anything that looks amazing, feels amazing, any inspiration. If your gift is to make money, don't make money because you got to stay poor because that glorifies God. That's one extreme. The other extreme is the complete opposite of that. That's how I believe that context was looked at in scripture, because in verse one, he talks about this like eschatology that's supposedly gonna happen. 
And it also partially explains why our cities have not yet been transformed and why the Christ carriers are not yet the ones who are leading culture and transforming culture because we've given away the very thing He's given us to steward. But here's some context. Look at what He says. I tell you, some of you standing right here will not die before you see the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of God arrive in great power dot, 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 then you'll die. The sum of you. Essentially, that's what he's saying. So what's the context of what he's talking about? If you back up, go, go back to that part with the sinful and all that stuff. I think the previous one. Oh yeah, no, no, the, go back. The adulterous, and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, he was talking to the religious Pharisees in this context. All scripture is written for us. Not, I mean, all scripture is written for us. Not all scripture is written to us. In this context, he's saying, go research the destruction of Jerusalem, AD 70. You won't see it in scripture. But if you read the writings of Josephus, you will see the destruction of Jerusalem. And it talks about what he's saying. Hey, this generation, some of you, you're going to experience this judgment that's coming. And you, then you're going to die because of this destruction that's coming. I can't, don't have time to break the whole thing down. But it is important for you to understand the context so that you don't give away your goodies. Out of fear and out of shame. What Jesus was saying is that if you, for His sake, lay down your life, you get Excalibur. You get the greatness. You get the gifts, the anointings, the, all that good stuff. It doesn't matter whether whether from this place of intimacy and presence, it, it leads to the fashion industry, entrepreneurship, a teacher, a doctor. Um, all that stuff requires gifts and talents. He's not saying lay that down, lose that at all. Isn't that amazing? Purpose that is not rooted in presence is merely performance. And it's very, very easy to believe that you're good when you are externally successful. But in the midnight, when you are all by yourself and that restlessness comes and you can't even just sit still and smile and enjoy the sound of the piano or enjoy a conversation and just be present with somebody long enough to sincerely have compassion and love towards them. Being successful outside in first is very dangerous. It is why we see what we're seeing on extremes right now happening in the world. So my call to us this morning is to prioritize your fundamental purpose in life. And that is to rediscover the real you. I am so committed to this and there are times where I throw away the sword maybe one or two days a week I throw the I throw that sword <laughs> I'm done I'm tired I need a break and then I'm walking and it's like a boomerang that sword just comes back because <laughs> he's so committed to me and to you prioritize your soul people can you stand with me
wife had something. Well, did you want to come up and see it? Yeah, yeah. Come quickly. This is my, my better half. This is my Excalibur right here. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, guys. It's good to be here with you all today. Um, I'm just feeling like really, really strong in my spirit right now. I just want to pray for three things. And if you could just hang with me here for a minute. I know we're wrapping it up. Let's just close our eyes. I just, I, I know that the Lord is going to break in right now really powerfully. And anybody watching online as well, I feel the same. Um, but I want to stand this morning with those of you that have been feeling anxious and anxiety, especially shortness of breath and trouble breathing, feeling like you have a million pounds on your chest. That's the first one. The second one, I want to stand with those of you that have been feeling tremendous fear and terror. I heard the word terror, especially like a literal panic in your in your body and your being and your spirit and your mind feeling so afraid, whether it be the condition of the world or just in general. Terror is the second one. And the third one is infertility. If you're believing for a baby or you've had many miscarriages and you are in a place that you're believing for a child, I'm going to stand with you this morning. So if any of those are you, I want you to boldly put your hands up and I want you to take, I want you to take back the authority that's yours for these things right now. So go ahead. If any of these are you, we can keep our eyes closed. It's not about anybody seeing you or feeling ashamed about any of this, but I want you to raise up your hands and I want you to, I want you to like, take it, take it for yourself right now. Like feeling just the heart of the father over these things right now. God, we stand right now. We stand with any of these people, God, anybody watching online, anybody with us this morning, God, that are, that are feeling anxious, that are feeling overwhelmed, that are feeling like they literally can't breathe, that there's a million pounds on their chest. There's more of you. There's more of you that need to take this right now. I want you to literally raise up your hands. Like there's something in saying, this is mine. There's something that happens when you agree and you say, this is for me. I'm taking this right now. So anxiety, we just say to you right now, you can leave. You can leave this place. You can leave. You can leave God's children. You can go now. You can go now. Terror, I speak to you and I say, you can go now in the name of Jesus. I speak to every soul right now that has been feeling extreme terror. I say, you leave right now in the name of Jesus. You can go. You can go. God's children are filled with the peace of heaven. I speak peace over your soul if that's you. I speak tremendous, heavy, weighty peace that will not leave. Peace that says no in the face of anything not of the Lord. Authority that says that is not for me anymore. I will not take that on myself anymore. And if you're a woman in this place that's believing for a child, we stand with you right now. We believe for you right now. I speak the, the anointing of heaven over your womb to create that child that you know is for you. If that's you, I want you to put your put your hand on your womb right now, on your belly. I want you to you to take it. I want you to say, that's for me. I want you to say, that's mine. That's my child. And God, we just say right now, the health of heaven over everybody that's believing for that child, the perfect timing of heaven, that any plan that's trying to stand in the way, God, of your children coming forth on this earth 
at the perfect timing. We say no more in the name of Jesus. We stand with every person this morning in any of those realms and we say no more, no more, no more in Jesus' name. Surround them with the right people that can help them walk through these things, God. Help them to renew their minds in these areas, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.